Hello, everyone. Welcome. Amber has bad opinions, so I'm taking the reins of this podcast because Amber's never gotten over the part of her brain that hears that this school didn't like Michael Jackson, so she reflexively wants to dress up as Michael Jackson, go up and down the halls, and she can't handle the fact that this is one of the greatest RPGs to cover the last decade. So where I want to start first is to talk about Disco Elysium. We have to talk about the creation of this game and the way in which it has ended because the ending of Za'um is the most Disco Elysium thing to ever happen <laughs> and is the only time I can think of that a video game has been killed by a character in the video game. Also, hi everyone, this is Original Podcast, do not steal a podcast where every week Amber and Autumn and I discuss at length the property and make an original character within that space. Is there anything I missed? Yeah, I just wanted on the record that when I said that I had a cold open planned, um, my cold open was going to basically be like, all right, everybody, don't freak out, okay? I've got you. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. I know that a lot of you are about to, like, think that I'm going to have a lot of problematic takes, or not even problematic, but, like, a lot of controversial takes here. Um, I promise I'm going to be way more even-handed than you think I'm going to be. And then before I got a chance to do that... Um, uh, you came in and you were like, Amber has bad fucking opinions. Disregard anything she has to say in this episode. I need everyone to know, because it's not a video podcast. I was silently laughing the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) You bitch. You dick. You Uh, asshole. I knew exactly what I was doing with that cold open, baby. I don't even, like, we've... The most we've poisoning discussed. the fucking well. I don't even know what your opinions are, but you weren't like open mouth drooling about how great this game is. So I was like, they're bad opinions, scorn <laughs> and mockery, boo. <laughs> See, I I would actually before we get into the game proper, like to talk about the creation and uh, horrid ousting of the creative works behind this game because I think it's a fascinating we, story and very should reflective we introduce of the ourselves game proper. We. <laughs> Can we talk about what the show is? Can we do our intro I first? I gave what the show is. They okay. know now. Hi, everyone. I'm okay. Prince Devin. I have the correct opinions on this game, and Amber Autumn uh, does not. I'm Amber Autumn. She, her. I also have correct opinions on this game. I think we're going to disagree about less than you think we're going to disagree on, but it's fine. Okay, cool. Uh, do, do you want me to go then? Because this is... It just fucking go. You want to. <laughs> yeah. Do it. This is ostensibly a you episode, but I have like three pages of notes because I fucking love this game. Just fucking go. <laughs> so, Disco Elysium is a deeply political, personal, human, and deeply Estonian game. And I apologize to the three main creators because I have their names written down, but my penmanship is terrible. My pronunciation of names is bad. And I'm bad with names in English, and they are Estonian. So this game happened because lead person, Christoph, I want to say, got, he released a book, A Sacred and Terrible Error, and it only sold like a thousand copies. It didn't take off well in Estonia, and he went into a enormous bout of drunken depression and just drunk himself stupid. And when he awoke from it, another one of his friends, the lead art director, uh, Krostov, I believe, was like, hey, man, why don't we make a game? And he was like, I, we, we failed. And the quote from his friend was, we've failed at so many things. Why not fail at making a game? And the reason they decided game, because another one of their friends, his grandson was like, stop making this dumb art. People like video games. 
And then they just drunkenly failed their way into making what is, fucking, I'll just say it, the the fucking best RPG to come out in the last decade. Disco Elysium is incredible and I love it. But that drunken stupor is so 100% what your main character is going through in. And uh, the, the lead guy, like, he got his life together for this game. He started eating better, dieting, and exercising so he would be healthy enough to see this project through because he failed his way to a book that didn't do well and that put him in a depressive style. He was going to see this through. And a character in-game... the li- Did you ever meet the light folding man? I don't think so. Okay, so the light folding man is a man whose face you never see because the wealth disparity between you two is so great, he can fold light around him and you never get to see him. He's a real person. He's the, I forget what the, the venture capitalist, the person who gives you money to make the project, right? The prime investor. That's who he is. He's a real person who exists. And because the lead writer, the lead artist, who's wonderful, chef's kiss for the art, it's, we'll get to it later. I'm, I'm getting distracted. And uh, the the one whose grandson said, hey, make a game. They were all on a handshake agreement with Za'um. Because the thing about Za'um is there is a company there, but it's also a cultural collective. And these are not game designers. Za'um, which is Russian for either from or for the mind, they, they make music. They write poetry. They paint. They make designs. It's a hub for political activism to take place. The game thing is secondary. That's just the avenue they wanted down. But once Disco Elysium became a brand, became an IP, became something that could make money based off of a name, get these dumb fuckers out of here with their integrity. And now the new lead writer in this entrenched in Estonian aesthetic game, the new lead writer for the company is some motherfucker from the States who graduated from Boston and the original people have been fired and there's disillusionment. Now on the LinkedIn page, they're looking for specifically British and American writers because we don't get enough of their voices in all popular media. And there's going to be a Netflix adaptation and a sequel. And what the fuck is that going to look like? And if fucking everything get ruined by greedy capital isn't the most Disco Elysium a game where on one of the lines is it does not matter what you do. You can wear your grandmother's coat. You can dye your hair green all you like. Capital has the ability to consume all, even that which critiques it. Just, ah, perfect. I love it. Art imitates life and capital one. <laughs> you talk. Yeah, so to be clear for any uh, viewers back home who maybe don't have... Uh, uh, haven't played it, in case, you know, all two of you. Um, so Disco Elysium is a computer role-playing game um, uh, where you play as, like, the world's shittiest guy after the shittiest night of your entire life, um, and you wake up and you have no fucking idea who you are, um, no idea what your face looks like, no idea of anything. Um, uh, clearly, you've been partying a little too hard, um, and gradually you come to realize that you are a cop, you're a detective, um, and you're here to solve a murder um, with your partner, Kim Kitsuragi, um, uh, the Internet's most beloved man. And the rest of the game sort of plays out as a um, somewhere in... I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a CRPG without the combat, basically. Um, uh, that's a, a, a detective murder mystery story, um, but where you, the protagonist, 
um, uh, have lost all your memories and also have to like like play through the parallel mystery of who exactly are you and what happened to you um, uh, to lead you to the beginning of this game. Uh, you know what we should have cold opened this podcast with? We both had cold open ideas, but we should have just started with like the warm primordial blackness thing. You know, we should like yeah, we should have we should have done the ancient reptile brain. I can't do. I can sort. I used to sort of be able to do the reptile brain. I can do limbic brain, uh, limbic system voice really well. Oh, okay, um, okay. Let's uh, let's then let's let's do some improv there. <laughs> what you long for is the sweet kiss of nothing. Embrace it upon thy frontal cortex and rest. <laughs> Shit, I don't know what to, I don't like. I don't know how to talk in their fucking pretentious uh, talk about nothing. Yes, Harry. Nothing but warm primordial darkness. Oh, you know, you just do that. Um. Uh, and you meet a like colorful cast of characters, and you have to talk to all of them about politics and decide what politics you do and don't believe in. And then the game makes fun of you for whatever politics you choose to believe in, pretty much no matter what. We, I'm gonna, we're gonna get to the part of this show at some point where I say a bunch of things that I have wrong with Disco Elysium, and I know a lot of you are already yelling me at me about that last one because it's not an uncommon take, and there are a number of like stock counter rebuttals to it. I understand that. We're, let's let's get through the rest of like the what is Disco Elysium before we get to the Amber Autumn complains about Disco Elysium section that is that precedes the like uh also here are things that are good about disco elysium and let's take it on its merits section yeah i already preemptively told them that all of your opinions are wrong to be disregarded my opinions are not wrong i just don't like think it's the single greatest game ever made and i and that's fine yeah like i said your opinions are wrong and that's fine we can just okay about a hand but anyways Uh uh-huh yeah i would describe it as Thomas Pachon-esque, very zen and the art of motorcycle repair. It is not a noir detective story. It is a psychological acid detective story. It's why the ending is perfect, if you know that's the field you're working in. We can get to that or not. I don't know where this podcast will lead us. But yeah, it it is a deeply personal game about the interpersonal goings-on of this small town and its inhabitants, and it recognizes an undeniable truth that the deeply personal is the deeply political. Hi, hello, where do you think politics Mm -hmm. come from? Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't... Like, what other part of the what happens do we need to discuss before we just get into, like, how we feel about the game? Because I can and will go on for forever about this game. Um, So, yeah, just... so it's like it's like set in a really interesting world, right? Like um, we mentioned the like the book that was written beforehand that's set in also the same world, and then they made a video game um, in it, and it's like this weird. Um, it's it's genuinely a really interesting and and really fleshed out world. There's a lot of lore about the world in this game, um, uh, and it's kind of this like vaguely timeless pan-european um uh like semi-modernist setting that's like a little bit europe and a little bit france and a little bit diesel punk and a little bit um uh old-timey 20th century 
you know, uh, uh, they have like entirely distinct like like racial groups and like the 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 interpolitics thereof, and um, uh, they have like their own sets of technology and their own like ways that like countries interact and the way that like police are viewed and operate and the ways that like political systems have been tried. The game is explicitly like the way they describe the place that you're in in Martinez is um uh. Uh, it's a place where every single political ideology has tried and failed. And, like, that makes it a really interesting ground for storytelling. And there's also, like, a sci-fi bent to the whole thing that kind of, like, more or less exists in the background. It occasionally comes up, but, like, we find out at some point that, like, the, the nature of the world is that you, like, there's there's this, like, void-like ether um uh that exists in the world called the pale and like the world is like this archipelago of land that exists um as like a patch of islands within the pale and we also learn that the pale is like growing and is going to consume the world it's a doomed world by its nature um uh but like your character like 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 you're doomed in the grand scheme of things everyone is doomed but like you don't live in the grand scheme of things you're playing the game because there's a murder happening right now and and that's the thing that's in front of you and that's the thing you have to solve um it's just like there's this other thing that's like looming over the whole thing um like kind of like in real life right like we like we live in a doomed world in the in real life everything is going to end um uh in the grand scheme of things but we don't live in the grand scheme of things um so that's kind of the the sense of the world, I guess, as best as I can explain it. Yeah. Would you like to know why there's uh, such a rich lord of the world? Sure, if you have a thing. It's because it's their D&D campaign. <laughs> it's a campaign they played, like, from Bronze Age to Modern Age, and that's that's the setting. That's that's Elysium. That's where it comes from. That's just a fun fact for everyone. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so... Do I just talk about why I like this game as much as I do now? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Why don't we start with you? Start with you. Yeah, um, before I start, I want to shout out Noah Codwell Gervais. I've shouted him out before on this podcast. He's a pretty good video essayist. He has a, it's a wonderful review of Disco Elysium. I might ape a few of the things he said because he wrote some pretty pretty powerful pros for it and they stick out in my brain but that review is particularly interesting because it's a one of the shorter ones he's done if you have an hour and a change check it out he's not known for brevity but it's fascinating because of how honest isn't the right word because a review is fundamentally about your emotional action to a thing but how how vulnerable it is because he writes a review of the game from the perspective of of an addict it's one of the few places i've seen the game described as nostalgic he he very much identifies with the the struggle he calls the opening an earnest tempest self-annihilation and he, he describes remembering that feeling of these specific benders there's a line um every every alcoholic has a bit of a detective in him and i i i think that rings true uh, so yeah, just, I just love that review. It's really great. And also, it is written from the perspective of someone who fully understands that who this game hates more than anyone else, the true vile of its 
uh, political failings is the the ultra liberal, the one who stands there and can justify the systems that we currently have and isn't who can talk a big game but won't actually put any effort in. And that's him. And he recognized it in himself. And he says a lot of the critiques this game makes about me are fair. And I, I, it's it's a really good review. Uh, Michael Swain of formerly cracked and IGN fame, pretty good writer on his podcast One Upsmanship. He describes this game as a breathtaking work of staggering genius. And I fully agree. No notes, Michael. We are in full agreement. I fucking love this game. The the syntax, the writing, the dialogue, the more than just it's fun and sweet, the the structure, the word choice, the 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 grammar is is engaging and fun and truly truly a staggering amount of effort went into writing it to make it as engaging as possible i think it's like 1.2 million words are in this game and hours were spent in going over these sentences to make sure you cared because most of the game is fucking reading it mm-hmm. is simultaneously to me so familiar because the things it's harkening back to are top-down CRPGs, isometrics, things I grew up with. I I love Planescape Torment. That's one of the greatest RPGs of all time. There's a reason it gets featured in all the top 10 lists. I I like the first two Fallouts. I fucking love Boulder's Gate, even though playing that game is archaic. I, I love Arcanum. So it's very familiar to me, but it's so unique. There is such a distinct vision. There is such strong artistic flair no other games look like this despite the fact that everything about it is so familiar to me the art style i would describe as nightmare van gogh everything is painted and wonderful there's there's a real human pain to this game and a real suffrage and and part of what i what i truly like about this game as like a a leftist right as a person who who's who believes in uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's mutual aid before I believe in charity. I'm, I'm with a food, not bombs. Uh, is this game is one of the loudest ringing endorsements of communism I have ever seen in my life. But from the perspective of people living in the fallout of the ways in which that failed, that is not a reality that you can deny, though many fucking online communists will try to, and it fucking upsets me to no end. But that's why there's a pain to this game. That's why there's a longing in everything. It's because they, they want it to work. But at the end of the day, 0.00001% of communism has ever existed. And the one that did failed and left a lot of human shrapnel in its wake. I, I just I, I love this game and a lot of what it says about humanity and people ring true for me. I've I've seen a lot of games cover addiction. I've seen a lot of games cover suicidal ideation. This one just rings so clearly as a human being who struggles with those things. And there's a bit towards the end of the game where I don't know if it's regardless of how hard you push the suicidal thoughts, but for my life, for my money, living and dealing with suicidal ideation... I don't like most of the time it shows up in Hollywood because we have to treat it like three-act structure and you have solved the problem. So say whatever you want about the Lethal Weapon movies. My relationship has changed as I've gotten older, but I'll always love it because Murtaugh doesn't... you, You don't get over it. It's still a thing in the next movies. And in this game, there's the... 
Just walk into the sea. Just stand it. It's fine. And the the option I went with, the one that stopped him from doing it, was just, there's a case. I promised some people I'd do some things. And that rings more true to me than a stand-up spinal speech talk to it at the end. It's when I think about times I've overcome the invasive thoughts, it is not a, a grand swelling speech about the effervescent nature of humanity, though this game does have that and it's beautiful. It's it's going, you know, when you die, you shit your pants. And my grandpa would have to clean that. And that's a shitty thing to do to him. I think I'm going to keep living. Uh, I, I, f- I fucking love this game, man. <laughs> and I, I can and will go on more. But that, that feels like most of the points I think I wanted to hit. There are like some other fun facts we can get in before we get into the contentious like back and forth arguing about bad things. Or I can ask, I can bring up some more like comedic bits from the game. So what, what road do you want to go down? Did you know that um, while they were making this game... Um, the, like, lead guy had to, like, sell his car to finance it, and now Dolph Lundgren owns that car? Yeah. (laughs) I know that information because you told it to me immediately before the show started and said, I gotta remember to say this, (laughs) or I could forget to say it. And now the audience also knows. Yeah, it's like, um, a game about how the protagonist like just had like an experience so fucking horrible um that you drank yourself until you could no longer remember who you were and the fallout of that and the ways that that like in some ways mirrors the world that you're living in um that like experienced like all of this like really horrible shit and is in like search of an identity in the same way that you now have to like uh uh you like find yourself in search of an identity um uh it's a really clever writing trick and it's uh it's all centered around like these two protagonists your like player character and um Kim Kitsuragi the two most blorboed characters in my feed um uh everybody loves both of them i want to i mean okay so kim is perfect no notes. I mean, I, I mean, he's like he's a lib. Like I like on the on the like I'm like I'm sorry. He is uh, th- that's like uh, supported by his dialogue, and I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I know that other people will. Other than like having some pretty moderate politics, where Kim really always tries not to take a stand and really tries not to take this shake the status quo more than he possibly can. Um, uh, Kim's like defining character trait for a lot of the game is one of like endless enduring professionalism, which is like the most valuable trait that uh, like a like a a co-partner could have to your character at the moment that you meet him. You meet him like immediately after the worst moment in your life, you walk downstairs. The thing that wakes you up is Kim's car arriving. Um, his like design has this like halo effect around him that's like off to disgust on the the analytical sections of tumblr uh because kim is like meant to be this like savior figure in your life and he really is that and like you love him in the course of gameplay because you start off in the back foot in this game you're in a real shit spot and kim is there for you and he doesn't judge you for having like super fucked up every part of this you show up and kim is like hey i'm your partner and you're like uh what's going on here and he's like you're a cop 
um uh we're here about the body um where is it and you're like what body and he's like well it was in a tree is what did you do with it and you're like i guess it's still in the tree um and like you gotta say it to him and like the first thing that like the way he responds to that is like your internal dialogue goes like it's obvious that kim would prefer that the body (laughs) would no longer be in the tree at this point but kim just says like okay let's get the body down from the tree and and like Im- like impressing kim um becomes like such an emotionally important part of the experience um and the fact that it, like is so fucked up sorry do i need to like bleep out the name it's like sort of a plot beat but it's not like a, it's i don't know the fact that the player character is so fucked up uh it makes him really easy to blorb oh, you didn't get the you didn't you didn't put in things into the imagination center, so he didn't name himself Raphael. Um, I definitely game. had the option to do that. No, my okay. So, so I played this game once, and uh, the time that I played it, I picked the stat build that my number one stat was like all the imagination stats, and my number two stat. There's like a twenty four fucking stats in this game. There's an insane number of stats, but um, four like stat categories. And my main stat category was like the um, the imagination wonder type stats. And my second biggest category was the physical stats. And in retrospect, if I could do the game again, I would not do that. Um, I think that was the wrong call for the way that I would have liked to have experienced the game. Um, but I, no, I, I absolutely had my imagination stats having me call myself Raphael or like they suggested it. Um, and I was like, that's, I, I don't remember why, but I rejected that. I was like, it's, you clearly just made that up. That's based on nothing. My name isn't Raphael. Nobody told me my name was Raphael. I just like, that just thought just occurred to me. That's not, that's not real. And so it didn't, I, I didn't actually play the game that way. Yeah. Because none of the. I don't want to say <laughs> all of the voices in your head are violently unreliable, and I think imagination yeah. <laughs> the most so. But the way it the way it intersects with the world is fascinating because it 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 often hinders your ability to solve the case, but less often, but more times than none, it very much helps you learn about people. People enjoy this fresh ability to look outside the staggering depressiveness of the world and if they have emerald empire Empire. too they'll open up to you and so you can learn more about people that way what else was i going to say something about kim um yeah but kim i don't understand how you could play this game and not understand that like kim is a liberal like that's the thing about Kim Kitsuragi is he he wouldn't even define himself as such. He's he is a realist in the sense of, well, yeah, I could spend time thinking about the political machinations of the world, but all that seems to have done to my partner over here has made him a depressed drunk. So like, there's a there is an unshakable reality here. Someone was murdered. How can I make that better? This woman is sad. How can I make her not sad? He does not bog himself down with whether or not the world is bad he simply acknowledges it for what it is and tries to operate within it uh, he's 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 truly a moral compass did you get the storyline with the lady where you find yeah. her husband mm-hmm. drunk and dead yeah that's harry looks to kim for guidance and throughout the course of the game harry can can judge kim for not being bold enough to take a political stance just as much as you the player can but in this moment of human longing and ability to connect with someone 
you mm-hmm. look to Kim. I, I, oh, fuck, I love this game. It's one of the best things um, in the game. It's really good. It's really good. I, I think I'm just going to ask you a few questions. So did you go down the ultra-liberal path at all? I pretty much 100% went the communist path to the extent that I could. I didn't get all of the like the communist subplot stuff, but I yeah, where where choices were presented to me, I did the same thing that everybody I know does the first time they play the game, which is sorry cop and communist. God, sorry cop is so pathetic in the best way. So I'm going to talk about the ultra liberal path because to do that, you have to become a man of influence and you have to amass capital and you don't get anything. No new items are added to your inventory, but you convince one person that this thing is worth X amount, and you ask them to borrow it. And then you go to another person, and you say, you own this thing that's worth a lot. Could I borrow this thing that is also worth a lot? Like, for three hours of gameplay until you become a man of influence and importance, and it's my favorite thing. So if you didn't finish the communist thing, there's this there's this great bit where they spend like three hours jerking each other off about how great communism is. And they they build a a house of cards to communism for one shining moment. It looks like everything is going to hold together. And then the house of cards topples over as it did in the real world. But my favorite because I fucked this up is the guy looks at you and goes, Harry. What, what's the meaning of communism, man? And I fucked up the role, and he just blurts out, Are women the bourgeoisie? And everyone in the room is so shocked by your blatant sexism, they just don't respond. This is, like, why it's really bizarre to me that people have really blorboed the protagonist of the game. Um, is that he sucks. He sucks really bad. And, like, I know that he's kind of pathetic and we love a guy who's kind of pathetic. Um, but, like, so much of the game, like, like you learn who the character is, not just who, like, what he chooses, but by, like, what dialogue options are available to him, right? Like, through the grammar of CRPGs, like, those are the thoughts that present themselves to your character. Um, and, like, so many of those thoughts are, like, like overwhelmingly misogynistic and like racist and horrible in just like every possible way that a person can be horrible basically um just a non-stop slew of atrocities um in in your player character which isn't necessarily a bad thing like playing as a shitty guy who like maybe even a shitty guy who wants to be less shitty but is fighting against like the like the person that he was before like that's compelling um he's not a blorbo he's not like a good cute guy he's not he's he's really really bad he's just shy of evil i don't know what the fuck a blorbo is so <laughs> okay I'm trying to collect my thoughts uh, a blorbo is like it's like it's kind of a tumbler like a tumbler sexy, sexy man. man like it's a like it's a guy like it's a guy who you really love from your shows who's your special favorite character guy well, I very often think about this moment in Star Trek The Next Futurama where Dave, who is my least favorite co-host, goes, Yeah, no, I think sadness is like a worthwhile venture. And Michael pauses for a bit and he goes, Oh, 
sometimes I understand I'm talking to a, a neurotypical person because there have been moments in my depressive life where I have just banged my head against the wall until I bleed, and I go, yeah, I get it. Um, so I think when a lot of people gravitate to Harry in the way they do, it's because that uh, the person who gets so drunk in their hotel, they scream, I don't want to be this animal anymore, uh, is far more relatable to a wide swath of the public who bash their head against the wall until they bleed to feel something different than most people think. Mm -hmm. And Harry is such a, a naked example of what that is and what that feels like. And for my money, I can't think of a lot of places where I've encountered that. Mm -hmm. Because, like, not to compare and contrast this too much to Planescape Torment... Um, but it is one of the biggest influences, and it's one of the greatest RPGs to ever be made. But in that game, the nameless one, who he was beforehand, is it, uh, self-reflection is part of it in a way where it's like who he was beforehand is complicated. There's a multifaceted answer here, as opposed to Harry. It is nakedly simple. You were someone who, were, who was trying to kill yourself and a wreck and a misery before we got into this point and are you better is predicated on choices you make over the player but i just i don't know man there's a lot of people who who when you swipe the mirror and you go who the fuck is this just they go yeah man i've been there i know what this is exactly i i think that has a lot to do with why he's so liked yeah um and also, so I'm watching House of the Dragon, and uh, Damon Targaryen, he kind of sucks, and uh, he fucks his niece, and he's the blorbo of my Twitter feed. <laughs> so, okay, like, well, I, I, fair point. The so, standards so, are not so, high. You know, so, so yeah, sometimes people just go, they could just like overlook some things if they just like a person, you know what I mean? Yeah. Amber, you wrote... In my high school notebook, I'm not friends with you because you're a good person. <laughs> oh my god! Listen, we were 18. There's more to it than that. I'm. I. I we had I been through some things recently in our friendship. <laughs> oh yeah, we really had. That was fresh off of freshman. Oh fucking. Oh Jesus Christ! I um uh, hell of a game to play. Also as a. Uh, not too distant from my breakup game, like purely on accident. Like, oof, whoops, oops, um, oopsie doodle, oopsie poopsies. fucking hell. Um, <laughs> did you, the lady on the yacht, did you talk to her much? I talked to her some amount. I don't know, some, some amount. She has one of my favorite responses that you can give, um, because I haven't talked about the, the title for this game. So, disco represents a point in this character's life where he had hope because what is Dixco as a genre if not the hope that that and it's all right and it's coming home a magical place where everything will get better and Elysium is the place in which you exist where the, where the world of the game takes place but Disco in Latin is to know so no to learn so you are learning of Elysium learning the place and learning of your main character but because Disco represents that 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 uncomplicated joy that things will get better when when you're talking about her about what to do with the unions and there's a, just a, a wide variety of options from like kill them uh to like support them strongly and everything in between the, the bottom one was harry just going 
I wish there was a disco option, man. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wish you could just make things better. Yeah. And I, I think about that when I think about Harry more than, uh, I guess, the, the sexism and the racism. Remember, uh, fucking, if we are going to just take a second to throw complaints at the game, remember how there's a whole bit where in order to, to max the, the dialogue with dude, you have to be racist? I, I was like... I get that y'all are European, um, mm-hmm. but I'm black and from America, mm-hmm. and I don't want to be racist. Yeah. No, I was definitely going to bring that up. I'm glad you did it first, so it wasn't, like, me, the white girl, being like, Devin, I think this game is racist. Um, uh, Let me offer be the one offering that opinion. I mean, I won't go as far to say I think the game is okay, racist. Okay, but that part uh, is, like... That part, yeah, I don't have a strong defense. It's weird. It's, it's not good, right? You have to... I, the game, in order to pass that section, the game asks you to uh, literally. There's a mechanic where you internalize thoughts. It asks you to internalize race science, like ra- like ra- It asks you to internalize racism, and then if you do that, Harry has different dialogue options for the rest of the game, or until you like forget the dialogue, the 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 thought. I understand why it is there because many characters are geopolitical philosophies made manifest, and so you can't not have racism. I I get it. That being said, I don't want to click the be racist button. They like didn't have to make a game where you're playing as a white cop and you like have to pass through an obstacle by being racist. They, you know, I I think you do. I think you can't not have a cop and not have them be racist. (laughs) But, like, they make you play that cop, and then they don't, like, they don't, like, being racist doesn't cause problems for you, right? Like, maybe you get some, like, story reproach from Kim, but, like, mechanically, you're only ever incentivized to be racist. And, like, what do you, like, A... I'm not sure that, like, like depiction that anti-racism exists, or the depiction that racism exists is enough for me to say that it's making a strong anti-racist message. Uh, and B, like, what are, like, what are you, Devin, supposed to do with that, right? Like, like, I don't think it's the game's strongest moment, and I don't think that a lot of people would defend it as the game's strongest moment. I don't think it's a controversial take. There's a lot of good things about the game. That moment, probably not one of them. Yeah, cut to the 20-minute screed where I'm like, when Michael Swain said this is a breathtaking work of staggering genius and I uncomplicatedly agree, that again. But, yeah, I didn't want to press the be racist button. <laughs> didn't make me feel great. <laughs> yeah. That being said, when <laughs> on the episode of One Upsmanship when they covered this game and Adam Cancer is like, this isn't even how people are racist today. My, like, blackness went off and I was like, oh, 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 white man. Tell me how racism works today. <laughs> I, I think just one last little like character bit to talk about because I think I think we're at creation. Are we at? Creation? I I have a couple no. of things that I would like to get out there. Okay, cool. I just want to ask: um, Did you spend any time with Everett? Like, how much did you spend with it? Because you spent because you spent points in imagination. Did you spend any on empathy? Uh, I didn't. I mean, I I did a pre-rolled set, so I wouldn't say I spent points, but I had some points in empathy. Okay. Did you like? get a full read on Everett and how he's he can't read the hypocrisy within himself no I I love that that's one of my favorite bits because Everett you if you get like dramatic and empathy you can get a strong read on like when he's playing you and you understand that he he has an earnest belief when he says 
every worker on the board, he means it. He's just... I'm trying to look for the words. When the Soviet Union fell, the people that were most hated were the hold honors, right? The ones who full-heartedly invoiced the bourgeoisie while also holding on to power at the end. Because some people do not have the means to understand hypocrisy within himself. And Ernest is one of those guys. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I think about that. I, I really like the way they play that character. He, like... <sighs> And his design, he's the fattest, he's the fattest self-feeding cat of all time. He's weird can't about fat people too. It. That's not like love everything about it. Also not a controversial take. That's one of the ones I think people will just agree with. Not game ruining. It's there. Yeah. I don't know. I fucking uh for I can defend that one, I can't defend the rest of it. But yeah, I agree. I, yeah, I'm not gonna fight you on that one. Did you get uh, fucking alright, last one. Did you get the bit about the game studio yep. that failed? I got that day one. Did you get did you get the part where you ask just how many uh, option, how many, how many was the infinite, and then it slams you with the wall of text? Yes, I did. Fucking love that. All right, but yeah, uh, you you talk That's now. A great bit. Yeah. Wonderful um. Bit. Uh. So I think that a lot of my friends who are listening to this episode probably listened, probably clicked this to hear me complain a little bit about Disco Elysium because I um I got done playing it. And I processed it, and I was like, I didn't really care for this game. Uh, and I had some reasons for that, and a lot of people really strongly disagreed with me, which I think is totally fair. I think there are a few things about the game that I think are, like, at least, like, interesting factors of how it's played that interacted with me in ways that, like, maybe weren't intentional. Okay, so, so, uh, stick with me here. When I played the original Mass Effect... Uh, I've told this story a bunch of times in, in relation to Disco Elysium. When I played the original Mass Effect, everybody in the game world was telling me, um, like, hurry, be quick. There's, like, a world-ending, urgent danger um, being visited upon us. And so I didn't do, like, a single side quest in Mass Effect. I just, like, ran for the exit. I, like, did everything as quickly as I could. I barely talked to any people. I finished that game really quickly. I got, Like, I got to the end, and I was like, oh, is that really the final boss? Oh, okay. And then I got to the end, I was like, I beat Mass Effect. And then everyone was like, you you played it wrong. And I was like, okay, but that's how the game told me to, to play it. Uh, and I think I was just, like, meant to intuitively understand a different way of playing the game that wasn't compatible with, like, the way that I felt like the game was teaching me to play it. And I had a really similar experience with Disco Elysium where um, uh, first thing that happens in the game, the, like the very first interaction after you've like made your character and gone through like the prologue dialogue, you wake up and um, you, you turn have on the to, light bulb you, and die. I didn't die, but yes, you turn on the light bulb, you take some damage. You like you like how you like how you like you go into like the dialogue options for the light. You have the option of turning it on. If you click that option, you take damage. Um, you also have the ability to try to grab your tie off of the fan. I failed that several times in a row, and I took damage every time I failed it. So, like first lesson, okay, not all of these dialogue options are meant to be clicked. Every single one of these options, you go into the dialogue tree and you choose which ones you think are good, and you specifically avoid taking any of the checks and doing any of the dialogue options that feel like they might make things worse. Second thing that happens in the game, you walk out of the room, and you meet this woman in the hall, and you have the option of saying to her uh, that you want to, like, make fuck on her or something like that, right? You, like, 
um, you have the option of of telling her, like showing her you want her, this random woman. Um, and I, having just learned this lesson from the previous room, chose not to do that, which apparently is actually a pretty uncommon choice to make. I think most people choose to hit on this random woman that they just met. But I was like, that's totally inappropriate. Of course, I'm not going to do that. Of course, that's only going to like make things worse for everyone involved. And I think that was like a that's a. And that ended up rewarding me later. Um, I, like, I, I talked to her. I let her know that I didn't remember that I was a cop. That's, like, where I learned that information. She told me I was a cop. And then later in the game, I get, like, a penalty on a skill check because I told her that information. Um, and so, I like, I think that uh, that's a reasonable lesson to take away from those things. But it was not the way that the game wanted me to play it. Because I played the rest of the game going into every dialogue option every dialogue tree and choosing the ones that seemed like they would help me and not choosing the ones that seemed like they wouldn't. And that means that I like, like this time, not even because of the sense of urgency so much, but I got through the game really quickly. I beat it before the piss jacket came up. Everybody's really excited about the piss jacket. I didn't get to see the piss jacket. I beat the game before that point because I just like, didn't click a lot of the dialogue options because I don't know, like, partly I had, like, a sense of, like, I'm a cop. I need to not be, like, asking out random women. I need to not be... I need to be, like, really mindful of what I'm doing and who I'm asking what. And that is a thing that I think makes a lot of sense for the way that I wanted to play the game and didn't make a lot of sense for the way that the game really wanted to be played. Secondly, and then and I'm going to make... I'm going to do one more and then I'm going to call it quits, I promise. But, I, like, the other thing is that I think that... Like, there's like a million words of lore in this game, right? And I think that a lot of the lore is really cool. I am not overly impressed with the way a lot of the lore is delivered. A lot of the lore, it is really good. I really love the way you learn about vehicles in this game. You learn about vehicles because you go up to this, like, car that, like, is Kim's. And you're, like, and, and you go up and you're, like, what is this? It has a radio. I can use that. And it's like it's like an instance where it, you're learning about the world by learning a thing that's like relevant to the case. It has a, a radio that lets you get new information. It lets you learn things about who you are, which is like one of the most important dramatic questions of the game um, because it lets you call your precinct. And then it also lets you know things about Kim because suddenly Kim gets really excited and he's been like only stoic to you up to this point in the game. Um, but suddenly there's this like thing that's really piquing his interest. Um, and you like Kim, and so it's exciting to learn things about Kim, and then, like, through that, you're learning about the world. There's so much world-building through just, like, the visual design of the space. Revishal is a really well-realized world in this game. Um, like, you get the sense of, like, a place where there was a revolution not that long ago, and things never really fully recovered, and people are poor and having a hard time. And that's all stuff you need to know about the world, and that's all stuff that's communicated to you, like without dialogue i think that a lot of the times when they tell you things about the lore if i wanted to be uncharitable i would say they read like wikipedia articles um i think it's often a little bit better than that because they often tell you things about the characters who are telling you the lore but i think that at least a large percentage of the time um the reading isn't backed by any particular dramatic weight and so you have to be in a mood that is really excited to be reading fan wikis about the thing that you're excited about, which a lot of people are. Like, reading fan wikis is often a really fun thing to do. 
that's just a space you like really need to be in, I think, in order to engage with this game in the way it really wants to be engaged. Did any of those things seem like super fucking unreasonable? Did that seem did I pull off being relatively even-handed in that? So, I think the f- I'm going to say something that's unfair. I'm going to say something that's fair. The unfair thing is when you described how you went through Mass Effect and you went through this, my immediate thought was, "Oh, Amber doesn't know how console RPGs work. And then, oh, yeah, Amber hasn't played top-down isometric RPGs. Uh, That's totally part of it. Yeah, I didn't play Planescape. I didn't play Baldur's Gate. I, like, I don't have a reference with the, like, with the games that this game is referencing. And if you don't have that point, yeah, you, you wouldn't be as immediately won over as someone like me is. I, whilst not agreeing can see why you made all of the criticisms you made. <laughs> I do not resent that all of my all of your points are wrong and you know I'm kidding. Uh yeah, no, I I, I see what you're saying. Um I just I cared. Uh No, everything. yeah. And yeah, and I and I know how to play these and it's to exhaust every dialogue option to get everything <laughs> I milk everything. Milk everything and click everything. I I love early double fine, man. I played Day of the Tentacle. I know how point and clicks work and it's click everything. There's like there's this fucking scene. Oh my god. This is my favorite scene in the game probably, I think maybe. Um it's either my favorite or like my least favorite. I haven't decided. Um but definitely the scene that affected me the most. I spent like 2 days fucking around in that game. It was like 2 weeks real time um for me in my actual world. Like eventually I managed to um reroll this white check on uh, don't worry about it. I managed to pass this skill test. Um, that I hadn't been able to pass before to get open, my, like, my old clipboard that I had found. And I'm just going to give away uh, this moment. If you don't want to have this moment given away, just skip ahead, like, 60 seconds. But um, inside the clipboard, um, you find, like, this, like, letter from your ex. And I started reading it. And, like, you have all these, like, internal voices in your head, right? And all the internal voices are, like, stop reading it don't read it. It's a bad idea. And I was like, fuck no, I need to read it. I'm just like, I I gotta. And I kept reading it. And the voices kept being like, seriously, turn back or else. Um, And then I kept reading it. And then my my character passed out and apparently died. And it went back to like the beginning of the game. And uh, that's apparently a, a false a false ending apparently it, that's not actually the end of the game but i didn't know that until after i had already finished the entire thing i went back to the i went back to the last save checkpoint and i replayed but i really considered just ending the game there because like to me the canon resolution there was like of course you have to read that letter and if it kills you that's what it does it's like you don't have a choice you have to read it because it's so important and like having to like restart the game and then pass that skill check again open the clipboard start to read the letter and then stop like i was i was sobbing it's like the hardest thing i've ever had to do in a video game is stop reading that letter like like i i don't know like you're right like i like there's shit in harry that is like so like broken in such a real way, like some some of the scenes in this game, like 
that shit broke me open, man. Like I like I don't even know what else to say. Yeah, it's plug in my rant about like why I love indie games from the last episode, but it's you as I don't want to say the biggest detractor because I read an article that was like, uh, why this game's uh, afraid to be earnest. And well, I like the way the article's written. I disagree. Um, but you as one of the biggest detractors just in my friend group have said, have also confessed to this game having you weeping. And that's just a recurring motif I have seen when people discuss this game is there because it, it, it does come from a place of earnest pain and true human suffering. And it will in some way hit you in a way that is just palpable and raw and visceral and something in this game is going to fucking get you and I love it. Okay, so now that we've done this for an hour, do you want to make a character? <laughs> yeah, do you want to make a character in Disco Elysium, baby? I'm so sorry that it took us this long, but um, I think everybody was expecting that when we said Disco Elysium, so. Oh, one fun fact. This game is, I think, the only game to ever do this, but it won all four of the awards that it was nominated for like a sweep across the board for all of its nominations and i don't think that's ever happened again cool i could be wrong so characters in disco elysium how do we make one uh there's a couple ways we can go here uh we probably want it to be like in the world relevant to the case so you could do like a witness or suspect for the murder you could do one of the colorful townsfolk around town who may have seen something like kuno um you could have a side character who doesn't in particular seem to be connected to anything but who like has some relevant side story that you maybe need to solve um like the like the woman with her husband um or like the cryptozoologist um uh, or the shit kids or the the shit kids uh kuno doesn't fucking care or you could have like a member of the police department um the police force such as it exists um lots of directions to go in so my immediate thought and i don't think we're going to go down this venture because it's stupid but my immediate thought is going and you know be fucking funny is if you find a portal to hell and you open the portal, and then the nameless one walks in. And that was just a dumb thought I had that I wanted to say into the microphone. Thank we're you. Not we're not doing that. It. It's stupid. No, it's stupid, but thank you for saying it. <laughs> That's the podcast, baby. <laughs> I think, like, my brain immediately says a more ancillary, like, it's a, like, it, tracking down a dead-end lead is where my mind immediately goes. I like what that a lot. You? Yeah. That's great, because then we get to write a little story about, like, somebody who could have killed someone, and then you get to the end, and you reveal, like, some way in which they're just, like, pathetic and not capable of that, and they were, like, fucked over by the world around them, and probably something like that, because that's what the game is, right? Yeah, so... Okay, I'm having an idea. I'm just gonna shoot it out. It's, mm -hmm. it's not as stupid as you meet the nameless one. What if they are intentionally leaving breadcrumbs to make it look like they did it mostly because they want to be a person of interest like remember that john mulaney bit where it's like a person of interest me but like an earnestness like wanting to be someone who someone is interested in because in your everyday life you are not and it is sad and even though it's horrible to have people think you're a murderer, 
It's better than the deep isolation of no one even giving you a glance when you walk through town. I like that a lot. That works super well. My first instinct upon hearing that is teenager, but I almost worry that overlaps too much with the teenagers that we already have in this game. No one pays any attention to any of the kids who exist in this world. It's part of the reason they throw rocks at the dead body. They're not as ancillary as you think because you have to recognize what type of environment would breed someone who would have such a callous disregard for life. They chuck rocks at the dead body. Anyway, I love this game if you hadn't mm-hmm. been able to tell. <laughs> that's a that's an example of a really good piece of exposition that the game has. I think it has a lot of bad exposition, but that's one of the good ones. Um, yeah. But yeah, okay. I, I would agree. I think it's a, I think it's an older person. I think it's... I, 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 not in the, like... Jason Todd, hi everyone. I'm I'm writing a new video script about why Titan season three is bad and why Arcane is good, but not the Jason Todd like kid who just wants attention. I think it's a, a a lonely, disillusioned worker who clocks in and out, and he doesn't have anything else other than his microwave dinners at home, and I don't I can't bowl with anyone, and I don't know how to speak communism, so the workers don't like me, and I'm scared. And now this dumb bearded drunk thinks I'm a suspect. Oh my! There's like there's like a cleaning lady in one of the in like an apartment complex in the game, which is like one of the weirdest, most discordant parts of the game because she's like one of the only characters who doesn't get like a name and like a story in the whole game. I I, I think about her. I think that's like a way to go. I wonder if we want to make it a job that's like fully unremarkable like a plumber um someone who's like designed to be overlooked in in society uh, or if we want to go with like someone in like a really really important job who doesn't get a lot of recognition you know like a like an EMT who doesn't get noticed or something like that yeah i think some sort of civil servant, the kind of job where it's like, you need this for society to function, but I have never once walked over to my trash man and go, hey man, thanks. You keep this shit working. So yeah, what's an important job that is somehow also, well, all jobs are fucking thankless. Jesus Christ (laughs) in heaven. But like, you know, an especially thankless one. Like, retail and food service are the first ones that come to mind in our world, but that doesn't exist in quite the same way. In Martinez, what's a job that would need to exist in order for the world that we see to function, but that we don't ever see over the course of the game anyone doing? There's mechanical stuff like uh, maintaining the streetlights, maintaining the cars. Uh, There are political jobs um, that have a nice thematic tie-in, but maybe aren't as quite as what we're going for for this particular character. Yeah, I think some sort of universal maintenance man makes sense to me universal maintenance man makes a lot of sense for this setting to me because it's such a small little town it really is like um you just like there's a guy who does everything right like any given job there's like one person who does that um yeah the one guy from gilmore girls luke him yes i i bow to your expertise most haven't accompanied gilmore girls is the episode we did like two years ago. So there's a few things that I would immediately want to know about this character. Um, uh, one is about his politics, uh, because it's a very important part of any character in the world. Uh, and we said, like, he doesn't, like, speak communist, and so the communists don't really want to talk to him, is what we said. Is that, like, would he go for communism if he was given the choice? 
Um, I think you do another Kim, where it's like... It's kind of like my character Joshua Starr from Dimension 20 on Sleeping City, where there is a reality to my life that is encompassed by a day-to-day living that does not allow me much time for political thoughts. Um, and with Kim, you can see how that's a that's a a way to improve the world around you when you're not bogged down by answering is the thing good or bad, but simply acknowledging the reality of a thing and doing your best to fix it. I think it's like that, but it's like in a less positive light than Kim. I think it's in some way a a dark mirror to like the apolitical centrism, but like less overt, right? Like they don't care. But Kim's not caring allows him to be a good person, and this person's not caring has not in some way, I think, would be interesting to me. Yeah, I think intentionally trying to draw out parallels between this character and Kim could be really, really cool. Having, like, a like a character who, like, but for the grace of God could have been, or, you know, but for the... the uh, the, there but the, for the grace on, of God, the God. disgrace of... But there, there, but for the disgrace of God, could have been Kim. Could have um, been this character we really, really have get to get to love and care about. I love the Batman twenty twenty one. I don't know when the Batman came out. Yeah, I don't remember when the Batman came out either. It was either yeah, I was either late twenty twenty one, early twenty twenty two. Um, time is a lie. Time is an illusion. An illusion. And the only reality is the uncavernous maw that is darkness, and let it kiss upon thy lips and rest. Rest into the black abyss and think not of your ex-wife, Harry, you piece of shit. His ex-something? We don't know that they were married. So, what other aspect of our person do you want to discover? I would like to discover how this person is involved in the case. How do we come to suspect him? What has he done that has made him suspicious to us? Here's my immediate idea. Because the the, the dead man, he's one of the... One of the mercenaries, right? Mm-hmm. What if... He is. Our boy, our lonely little maintenance man, one of the few people who would talk to him are the mercenaries. And so it's like, well, I don't know anything about, he doesn't talk, but I've seen him with the mercenaries. So start there. And so since that's like a starting point and in, and once our maintenance man figures out like, oh, and then he starts, that's when he starts leaving bread trails to make it sound like he killed the, he killed the mercenaries. Just like saying ominous, suspicious shit. And yeah. I wonder if the maintenance man possibly could have had like access to some of the relevant places at the Whirling and Rags where like the murder happened. Could have uh, some like special privileged information that you could get a hold of by talking to him. Um, could have provided, like, an- another avenue by which to forward some of that plot stuff. Yeah, so here's the thing I'm going to give you for free, and that is that I don't like Agatha Christie novels. I'm not a fan of mysteries because I'm fucking stupid. 
So if you want to, like, iron out clues and shit, that's going to have to be a lot of you because I don't know how to make them work. No, yeah, that's okay. I mean, I don't think we need to, like, come up with, like, a like a lot of really particular clues that we're dropping in discovering who this guy is. I have Probably, an presumably, no, go. Oh, I, I feel like, um, okay, yeah. I have an idea to tell me what you think about. So we're bad with names uh, throughout the history of this podcast. I kind of think it's cute if people are like, yeah, Johnny, and then you go to talk to him. He's like, "That's not my name." And then you ask someone else, "Yeah, Philip." And so his his name is constantly because ch- just no one talks to him. He has no one. It's reflected in his lack of a name that anyone can recognize. And when he tells you his name, you forget it because you're drunk and stupid. I think that would be cute. That is really good. Maybe he like told you at one point. What did he should he should probably have had an interaction with Harry before. This happens, right? Like, Harry interacted with a large percentage of the town uh, before the game begins. And presumably, he would have had some kind of interaction with what's-his-name, as I'm assuming he will now be called uh, in the the episode title. What's-his-name, the Universal Maintenance Man. We did it. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. What 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 kind of interaction do we think he would have had there? I bet. I mean, it wouldn't have been positive, right? Or, like, maybe it would have been, actually. I kind of like that better if, like, it's, like, Harry and what's-his-name had, before the blackout, like, a really sincere heart-to-heart. Like, it really seems like, like, maybe the day that Harry passed out, like, before he, like, right before it happened... Do we ever find out how Harry gets back to his room? Not from my recollection. Because, like, you see the place where, like, there's a huge stash of bottles where definitely Harry was drinking them before he woke up, right? Like, the place where the blackout probably took place. What if, what if what's-his-name was there and they, like, bonded over this, like, shared sense of alienation from the world? What's-his-name has been going through it as well. And he's like, yeah, man... I get it. I've been there too. Um, and he, like, in that moment, like, of sincere connection helps Harry back to his room. And, like, and then Harry meets him again and has no memory of this. Has no recollection of who this guy is or what interaction happened. And it, like, breaks the guy open. Yeah, I like your idea better than the one I have, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna agree. <laughs> And then, like, and then, like, the the attempt to become a person of interest, like, becomes a way of like trying to recapture that. Like, the guy is interested in Harry as he was because it was a place he saw connection with someone. Ooh, yeah, that's good. Cause Kim tries to make you better by being a positive role model, and what's his name is like, I liked it when you sucked like me, man. Yeah, that's really good. Another important thing I think that we need to know to figure out who this character is to, like, understand his connection to the past of the place. Because every character in this game, like, it's a huge theme running throughout is having a connection to the past of the city that they're living in, um, in one way or another. I love Dimension 20's The Unsleeping City. Oh, we'll get to that. Don't worry. We will. We definitely will. Hi, Reg. You'll be on that episode. Oh, cool. Okay, so... If they were a universal maintenance man now, I think they were a universal maintenance man then. I think my question would then be, in the past, was it more of a respected position and it's a fall from grace? Or is 
his relation to the past, like, nothing's really changed for me. It's it's more or less the same. I like both of those a lot. I think I'm leaning towards uh, nothing has changed, though, because of, like, the... Yeah, um, I... Uh, can, can, can I go? Uh, cause, yeah, go. Because I think if you're doing the nothing's changed for me and it's a it's a realist, right? An unflinching reality of the situation. And it's... If that's what you are, you don't notice grand sweeping political machinations. You just notice your world. And like, to get real for a second, I live in Indiana and the abortion ban happened, but... I'm a guy, so it doesn't super affect me all that much. So, like, my section of the world has not on a fundamental level changed, although I am aware of the ways in which it maybe soon someday will. But if he's not a guy who thinks about that, I don't think anything's changed for him. It's so it's reflected in, yeah, in the past, no one noticed me. Now no one notices me. Yeah, and then you get, like, a really coherent political position from the guy, right? About, like... About, like, politics are too big for me. Like, I don't live in politics. I live in this apartment. And and this apartment hasn't changed in the entire time that I've been here. Yeah. Yeah, this character's really coming together. That feel Like, that, like... Yeah, I, like, I, like, adding that, I'm like, oh, this is a Disco Elysium character. Yeah, I really... I really... I, I truly feel like we nailed it. We really got it. I'm missing, like, one little punch. I'm trying to figure out what my question is. Okay, I got a question for you. Yeah. So, Disco Hope, and that that is a part of the game. It's in the flow. It's, I, I think about the, the drunkenly singing The Smallest Church in Idaho, or what the song was called. And Oh, such a, such a good song. Yeah, so it's, does this character hope? Is there that small light at the end of the tunnel that says go on to the next day it might get better for them or have they given up like is it is there a part of them that want that thinks they can get out of this circumstance of just complete isolation truly i think there is only one character in the whole game who has truly fully given up and i think that's important and i kind of don't want to intrude on, well no cuz kuno's dad is do we think kuno's dad has given up fully i don't think fully then i i want to like leave the one character and i would assume that you know which character i'm talking about there's one character who's like has fully given up and i i kind of want to keep it that way i want to have even this character even what's his name believe in a in another day i would like to know what hurt this character like we have this sense of like this is a guy who's living the same day who is unnoticed by everyone um who's caught in his own tiny little personal time loop basically but i sort of feel like he wasn't always um and i would like to get a sense that like this guy once had another life and it could have been different for him and he was like he like he was relating to he was relating to harry about something right they were bonding about something and i'm wondering if there's a about this because you didn't spend a lot of time with her but the the yacht lady she's one of the few characters in the game who talks to harry about disco and it's part of what makes her very likable even though her political alignment is very skewed from my own personally what if what's his name also likes disco 
right? Like, that's that's what him and Hera were bonding over, because Disco is the hope for a better tomorrow in some respect. And maybe What's-His-Name never had a concrete thing to get out of, but he had Disco. He had a bunch of music that said, no, it, it will be better. We can turn the beat around, man. And Harry's like, yeah, no. And Harry drunk in the, yeah, fuck, yeah, man. Oh, my God, we can. We can turn the beat around. And it's it's as simple as, like, you feel bad? You turn on your favorite song? I play The Will of One by the Proto Man? It's like, damn. Hey, maybe, maybe shit's going to be better tomorrow, dog. But then things don't go better for Harry for the rest of the day. Do we feel like a fun fact apiece? Yeah. Yeah, I feel, I feel like one fun fact apiece. I think I, I have mine. Um, so What's-His-Name has, like, a lot of dog food, and you don't ever see a dog. That's so good. And you, you never solve the mystery. It's just there over your head the entire time. That's That's so good. I think that What's-His-Name has a couple of trophies from a long, long, long time ago uh, on his wall from ages past. Um, about having played uh, uh, pinball because Kim is really into pinball. That's the thing you can find out about him. Um, and a, I'm trying to like really flesh out that like that parallel. I'm trying to draw attention to it, but also b, I like the idea that like he and Kim could have crossed paths. Like we imply that there's an interaction there that could have happened years ago, but certainly if there was, neither of them remember it now. Yeah, that's good. I like it. Amber, is this the end of the episode? It almost is, but there's one more thing we have to do before oh, that. Yeah. Which is we have to do a little parasocial bonding question where you ask us a question uh, so that the audience can uh, hear more about our lives than they already have. And if it's at the end, so if you don't care, you can skip it. But my last closing thought on Disco Elysium is I would like to say that it is beautiful, flickering, and intoxicating like the hope of believing in anything at all. And that's a quote from the game, because I love this fucking game. So anyways, Amber, here's my question for you. Yeah. I feel like character creation is an exclusive tabletop RPG thing for you. We, we approach OCs very differently. So do you have that, like, white whale of a character where it's like an idea that you never got to fully explore or, like, I don't think this group would be the right place to introduce them? Do you have that that one that got away that character that's like forever in the back of your head like i could i could make this work if everything lined up i think that i would like the short answer is sort of no uh there are a lot of like characters that we had in high school who i think that i would be i would be really excited to revisit someday and like do them but better uh like with my with a with a with a current set of understandings of how to make a character how to play a character dramatically. I would love to play a swashbuckler someday. I just think swashbucklers as a character archetype are really fun. And I don't get to do them enough. And I keep not... Do I I didn't do it again. Like my current Pathfinder group. Uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't choose to play a swashbuckler. I could have. And I didn't. I uh, chose to play a cleric instead. Or not a cleric. I'm a, I'm a bard. Um... Uh, but a, a, a healer type bard, and that's on me. So I don't know. Yeah, I I I like I like Seahawk types, and I want to play a Seahawk type. Everybody loves Seahawk. Everybody loves Seahawk. No notes. Uncritical support to Seahawk. What about you? So discounting just 
the fact that I am starved for tabletop RPGs and will have very uh, disparate ideas in my head, I think the one that got away... I could either go with that unfinished campaign we did where you were a barbarian and I was an assassin. I like her quite a bit. But the one that got away, I think it's Fang? The idea I always mm-hmm. had for a human raised by gnolls who's a monk barbarian, but his fighting style is just like a savagery to it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just like mixed kid feelings there that I didn't realize were the thing I wanted to explore with him at the time. Ooh, yeah. I uh, I only ever got to play like a few rounds, a few sessions with uh, Andrew and it fell apart. And so I've I've been attached to like that that idea and that concept and that guy and I'm always like, ah, if I ever get the right one I'll bring Fang back. So yeah, for, for me it's Fang. Yeah, that tracks. And that, everyone, is a podcast. That's, what are we going to do next time, this Amber? podcast. Well, um, uh, thank you for listening. My name has been Amber Autumn, she, her. And I've been Prince Devin. He, him. Our theme music is by Kyle Alicia, whose work you can find at therealragnarok.bandcamp.com um, join us next week when Devin tries to get us to talk about professional wrestling, but instead we talk about some fucking nerd shit. What are we talking about, Devin? Oh, we will be starting our trilogy of covering Dimension 20! We'll have guests. We'll have long things. You'll learn about my specific OCs, and you'll get super tired of the joke where I keep going, let me on the next season, Mr. Brendan Lee Mulligan. Come on. I'd be great friends with Lou Wilson. Let me do it. To be clear, we are doing three Dimension 20 episodes. We're not doing them in a row. They will be separated by other episodes um, in between them, so you'll get breaks. Just in case you, like most of the people listening, haven't heard Dimension 20, so it's going to get like nine lessons, and I'm going to be like, well, that feels good. Oh, don't worry. TikTok keeps trying to throw me Dimension 20 content, so... Really? Yeah, that, I guess that makes sense for a thing they'd try to throw you. Um, yeah. I like They're wrong, because I haven't seen... I've never, but, but they've tried, yeah. I like it. I think you'd like it if you had a time investment or the very least would like clips and will enjoy me talking about it. Yeah, you'll enjoy me talking about it at the very least. It's fine. <laughs> um uh wow, cool. Say say your say your thing. Monetize friendship. Pretend I did a good one. I don't know. There's like there's so many <laughs> with with Disco Elysium that my brain is like short circuited and I can't think yeah. of like one specific. So pretend I did a good one, audience. This was a long episode. Thanks for sticking around. Goodbye, everyone. Uh, Time to uh, stop listening. It's funny to, to me because when I think reptile brain, I don't think a longing for blackness. I think. I see a, a big booty Latina and my brain goes, <laughs> that's what lizard brain means to me. <laughs> Bye. Bye.